dejection. And just to define it once again, uh, spiritual dejection, it's those events, those seasons in life where something just kind of knocks us breathless. It can discourage us. It, it can even lead us into a depressed state. They jolt us, they shake us. And so those are the kind of events we've been covering. And of course, we've been looking at them from the perspective of how God wants to intervene, wants to interact and to sustain us and even develop us uh, as we go through these kind of experiences. Now, today is a, it's a pretty sensitive subject, if I could get that. My loss is beyond measure. Now, now here's what I know. Um, and it, frankly, it doesn't matter how young you are even. Every single one of us in this room has had to one degree or another these kinds of experiences where we feel like this feels so bad, this, this loss hurts so much, it, it's beyond measure. I, I, can't even, I can't even fathom what I'm going to do with the kind of pain that I feel because of this loss. And, you know, we usually think in terms of, you know, the, the loss of a loved one, and that is going to be covered. Now, I, I want to be sensitive. I know that some in this room have recently lost loved ones. And, and matter of fact, we have a, um, a tremendous ministry called, uh, uh, gee, I just lost it that quickly. Uh, grief Share, <laughs> forgive me. Grief Share, which Patty Milstead has been um, leading for over 10 years in this church. So if you have recently lost a loved one, uh, please check out Grief Share. You don't have to start at the beginning. You can check in anytime. It's a class that's done tremendous things to help people get through those seasons of uh, per personal loss when a loved one, a friend, or something like that has passed on. So we're going to talk about a sensitive subject today, but it doesn't have to be the loss of a loved one that can put us in this state where we feel like my, my loss is beyond measure. I mean, for some of us, COVID, particularly coming out of COVID, it could be that we, we lost some career opportunity. It could be we lost a, a vocation itself. It could be that we're going to have to go through some kind of retraining, kind of a start over situation because of a loss of career. It could be the loss of physical health. You, you lose physical health or some portion of your physical health, man, it jolts you, it shakes you. You have to start rethinking, how do I live? Who do I become from this point? It could be the loss of some friendship. Uh, you know, our, our friends kind of weave themselves into our souls. And when we really lose a significant friendship, we feel like, man, this loss is beyond measure. It could be the loss of a spouse. It could be the loss of a marriage could be the loss of a child and I don't mean death I mean your child just walks in a different direction that is so far from you and your family's context that for all practical purposes they're lost to you so so we want to spread our minds a little bit but we're going to talk about actual of the physical loss of a son but I don't want you to get isolated on just that subject because this uh, phenomenon of I feel like my loss is beyond measure, it happens in various ways to all of us. You cannot live, let me just start by saying this, you cannot live in this present world and not experience this. It's just a question of when, it's not if. We are all going to experience it. Frankly, we're going to experience it periodically in different ways throughout life. You can't run from it. We can't run from it. We can't hide from it. When we live in a world where evil exists, and it does for a little while, God is allowing evil to exist for a little while so that he can abolish it forever. But while evil exists, this phenomenon, that feeling, that, that thing that just knocks the wind out of us, my loss is beyond measure. It's unavoidable. All right. We're going to go back to the life of King David. We, we had 
two messages that revolved around the first king of Israel, King Saul. This is the second one now that revolves around the second king of Israel, King David. I've said it each week. There's more written in the Bible about David than anyone else other than Jesus himself. David is called a man that God himself says was a man after his own heart, and yet he was a man that was flawed, just like each and every one of us. So we're going to look at a particularly difficult episode in David's life when you come to this portion of his life David is about 62 to 63 which means he's going to rule and reign as the king of Israel for about another seven years he rules until he's 70 he dies at age 70 but he's about 62 or 63 when we come to this particular portion of scripture I'm going to read through this then what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the background because the background for this is is necessary and the background for some of you that want to read Take it all in sometime on your own. It starts in 2 Samuel chapter 13. It goes all the way to 2 Samuel chapter 19. And it involves one particular young man, and his name is Absalom. Let's pick up in the text. 2 Samuel 19, this is the end of the story. Joab was told that King David was weeping and mourning for Absalom. And so the joy of victory was turned into sadness for all David's troops that day because they heard that the king was mourning for his son Absalom is his son they went back into the city quietly like soldiers who are ashamed because they are running away from battle the king covered his face and he cried loudly oh my son my son Absalom Absalom my son Joab went to the king's house and he said to him today you have humiliated your men the men who saved your life and the lives of your sons and daughters and of your wives and concubines you oppose those who love you and support those who hate you don't worry I'm going to give you the backstory on this you have made it clear that your officers and men mean nothing to you I can see that you would be quite happy if Absalom were alive today and all of us were what is the word dead now go, this is Joab talking to David, now go and reassure your men, I swear by the Lord's name that if you don't, not one of them will be with you by tomorrow morning. That would be the worst disaster you have suffered in all of your life. Then the king got up and he went and he sat near the city gate. His men heard that he was there and they all gathered around him. Now let me give you the backstory. Starts in 2 Samuel 13. David has one of many sons, and his name is Absalom. The scripture goes to a point to describe Absalom as the most handsome man in Israel. It says that that his hair was so heavy, they would weigh it when he would get it cut once a year, and they could put it on a scale and evidently weigh it. He appears to be, for whatever reason, parents, we have to be careful with this, for whatever reason, Absalom appears to be David's favorite child and sometimes we don't even know that we're doing it we don't even know why we're doing it but if we have more than one child we we might have a little bit of something special with one child and if that's the case we have to monitor ourselves very carefully and make sure that that is not being communicated to the other children and we have to learn to love God's way with which can be quite complex we're going to see that in this this story so Absalom this favorite son has a sister her name is Tamar David also has another son named Amnon Uh, they are half brothers Absalom Amnon half brothers they have different mothers so Amnon falls in love with Tamar his half sister 
It's a brutal and a terrible story. He becomes so infatuated with her that he ultimately rapes her. And when he rapes her, almost as soon as the rape is done, he is disgusted with her and wants nothing to do with her. And she even pleads with him. She says, you know, it would be allowed for us to, to be wedded since we're half brother and half sister. But he throws her, literally throws her out of the house. Well, when Absalom, her brother, finds it out, needless to say, he's incensed. He is angry and rightfully so. But what he does is he starts a, a plot, a very careful scheme, and he waits for two whole years, two whole years until he has just the right set of circumstances where he's going to kill his half-brother, Amnon, and he does. But he doesn't even carry it out by his own hand. He carries it out through his men. And so all of a sudden, Absalom, the favorite son of David, he has to flee. So he flees away to Geshur. Geshur was where his mom was connected with the king there. And he hides away in Geshur for three years. After three years, he sends word to Joab... David's number one general he says you know why don't you talk to David I don't want to live here the rest of my life I want to go home so Joab persuades him and Absalom is allowed to come back to Jerusalem now he stays in Jerusalem for two years but David won't see him face to face he's trying to exert some kind of discipline he's glad Absalom's back he had been grieving for Absalom's absence but he knew he had to try to show some degree of discipline so two years he won't see Absalom face to face well, Absalom complains again to Joab. Joab convinces David. He says, you know, why don't you change this? And so David then allows him, and he comes and lets him back into the court. Now, four years, Absalom is back in the court. He's back in Jerusalem. For four years, he has another scheme. He's evidently been thinking about this scheme for years before he put it into practice. He stands at the gate, and when someone would come to, to have an audience with David, to have a meeting with David, he would catch them first, and he would say, oh, tell me, tell me your problem I, I, I care for people and my, my dad's different but tell me your problem he'd say you know if only I were king man I would take care of your problem you wouldn't have to be worrying about this I, I would deal with it personally and he did this on purpose and he did it for four years now after four years he had amassed such a group of people in favor of him that he knew he could overthrow his father the king now let's think about something the scripture tells us that God chose David to be king. God sent Samuel, a prophet, a legitimate prophet, to David and said, God wants you to be king. He wants you to rule his people because he knows you'll rule them in a righteous way. You'll, you'll lead them to trust God and to follow his will and his ways and his word. And so David was chosen by God. Absalom was chosen by no one. David ruled in a godly fashion, flawed though he was. There's no indication anywhere in Scripture that Absalom cared about God at all. But he's determined he wants the power of the kingdom. He doesn't care about ruling for God. He doesn't care about God's will, way, or word. He doesn't care at all about anything but for his own power lust, thinking of the prestige and the possessions and, and everything else that would come with being king. So Absalom for four years carries out this scheme until finally he feels like he has enough people following him that he can overthrow his own father and he does and David is very honest when he finds out about the scheme he tells his men he tells his loyalists he says listen let's let's get everybody together and run for our lives because Absalom the young man will surely kill us all so David 
who loved this kid more favorably than his other kids, who doted on this young man, who kept giving him the, the next chance and the next chance and the next chance to the putting his own family, his own friends, his own, uh, you know, faithful ones in danger, putting the kingdom of God in danger. He favored that much. I just want to pause here and say, can, can, a, can a parent, can a parent have what they feel like is a passionate, legitimate love for their child and yet it's a distorted love, it's an unhealthy love, it's a love that is actually doing something worse to their child than were they equal in their love, were they godly, had a godly balance on love. In other words, can you love a child in a sick way? Can you love a child in a way that does harm rather than good? I, I, I don't have to ask you. I think we all know that that's true, but it is really hard to discern when another chance and another chance and another chance he knew his son was a murderer he knew his son was a schemer he knew his son was ungodly he knew his son didn't care for God God's will way or word he knew all this but he still had this place in his heart where he just had to hope for the best and even after Absalom is seeking to kill him and he knew that he was he tells his guys, come on, let's, let's clear out. So they, they run. That's what's happening. Then the battle has to happen because Absalom and his troops are pursuing David and his troops. And so David gives instructions when the battle is about to take place. He tells Joab, his number one general, he says, look, he says, whatever you do, if you come upon the young man Absalom, don't hurt him. Don't kill him. Now, mind you, he wants to kill Joab. He wants to kill all the, the loyal troops of Israel. He wants to kill his own father. He's already killed his brother. But David says, take care of him, whatever you do. Well, the battle, the battle gets hot and heavy, as wars do. And Joab finds Absalom literally stuck in, his, stuck in a tree. His hair, his hair was so doggone good, it got him stuck in a tree. <laughs> and though other soldiers were afraid to kill Absalom because of what David had said, Joab knew war is war and this is a bad individual who needs to be eliminated and Joab doesn't hesitate he, he throws javelins in him and then the rest of the men finish him off so this, this scene that we just read where David is weeping uncontrollably because of the death of his son now you know the background story and now you know why Joab spoke so harshly to David. David's weeping where his men, his soldiers had been out risking life and limb and maybe and likely some of them died and maybe and likely some of them were wounded and maybe their families had to grieve for them or, or change their lives entirely because their wounds were so severe. We don't know. And David couldn't care less about those that had risked their life for him for the kingdom of God all he's caring about is his son he has a an affection for his son that he feels is certainly like love but it's a it's an unhealthy love it's a sick love it's not a good love it's not a balanced love and his grief is not good grief there is such a thing as good grief David's was not good grief so let's look at what is good grief. Grieve deeply and what is the second word? So when we are at that stage where we say my loss is beyond measure, when it's me that's in the box and not David or you in the box, 
I, I need to tuck away what, what God wants me to do. The one that loves me most, knows me best, understands life perfectly. And some of the things I'm going to say to you this morning, they're going to sound counterintuitive. They're certainly going to sound counter to some of the counseling that's prevalent right now. But I'm going to say them and hope that you'll, you'll consider them on your own. God wants us to grieve deeply. That's legitimate. But deeply doesn't mean that I, I'm grieving without awareness I, I have to deal with awareness I'm not alone there are others that count on me there are others that God has put me into their life that I have a role to play in their life they're looking to me his soldiers were looking to him for strength for wisdom for direction for affirmation they had risked their life for David that they wanted to believe that they had invested their lives and risked their lives for, for something that God was in. And here David is weeping and moaning about his son. And it says the men snuck into the city as men who had run in battle. But they hadn't run in battle. They, they, they had laid their lives on the line and they had won. Look, we can, we can get so brokenhearted about some personal loss that we all but forget that we have God-given roles and relationships and responsibilities and they do not go away. I'm gonna repeat it. We can get so broken, so hurt, so wounded, so absorbed in our pain. I understand it, I, I, I understand it, we all probably understand it. But we must stay aware because we have God-given roles and relationships and responsibilities that he still intends us to be conscientious of. David had a role to play with those men. He was their leader. He was their inspirer. They looked to him for spiritual direction and guidance and affirmation. And all he's doing is giving a counter message as though they had failed, that the whole thing was, was wrong, that their behavior was incorrect because Absalom was killed Absalom the murderer Absalom the schemer Absalom the one that wanted to slaughter his father and all those that were loyal to him and loyal to God David in his brokenness in his loss he lost awareness he he was not conscientious that can and often does happen to you and I we, we get so caught up in the pain we're, we're, we're so entangled perhaps with someone or something affectionate I'm differentiating now between affection and love. Authentic love, God-given love, it's balanced. It keeps its perspective. It puts appropriate value on the beloved as well as on others that should be beloved. I'm talking about a different kind. It's affection. It's fierce affection. It's maybe even passionate affection. But it's not to be submitted to. It's to be tested by our God-enlightened reasoning. We have other roles and relationships and responsibilities that are not to be shirked. They're not to be forgotten as we grieve. I'm going to get to a balance on that in the second part of this message. So I know some of you are thinking, man, you, you don't know what you're talking about, Randy. When, when you're down, when you're broken, when you're hurt, when you, when you experience a life-shattering experience, you can't think about anything but your pain. I understand that. Believe me believe me I understand that but there there's a balance so let me take you through some scripture and we'll kind of expand on this Ecclesiastes 7 7 verse 2 it says it's better to go to a house of what mourning that doesn't sound better to me it is better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of what let's contemporize it a house of parting how many would much rather go to a party than a funeral 
Well, we, I, you remember, Jim, we all want to go to a party. We don't funeral. But here's what, what the Word of God is trying to get to us. It's better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of, what does it say? Everyone. And the living, I put end in there, should take this to heart. What does it mean? It, it, it's saying that we have a propensity to lose track of reality. The fact that we, we have a start and a stop in life, and we're supposed to go to those places that make us think more realistically we can live as though life were never going to end we, we can live as though God's not there we can live as though judgment's not a reality we can live as though the way we spend our time and talents and treasure don't matter and so it's saying that these events that trigger us they jolt us with reality and they make us stop in our tracks and say who am I why am I here where did I come from how am I supposed to be living what's going to ultimately matter death brings us to think those kinds of realistic thoughts so for David, this could have been and turned out to be a time of deepened awakening. I, I think that Joab's words snapped him around. The last seven years of his uh, lead in the kingdom of God indicate that that was so. Let's look at a couple others. John 7, and I gave this to you in a couple different versions because I want you to, to see it in clarity. John 7, 24, this is Jesus talking. He says, do not form superficial what? Judgments. He says, don't, don't, don't judge on the surface, but form judgments that are just. John 7, 24, again, look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. David was putting, knowingly or unknowingly, more value upon Absalom than all of his other children, his family, his soldiers, those in the kingdom that were loyal to God, he, he was putting them at risk because of his affection, his disproportionate affection, his unhealthy affection. I, I you know, mentioned it earlier. I hope you know that a parent can have an unhealthy affection for a child that does more damage than good. David was putting everyone else at risk and depriving them. We do this sometimes. We deprive the people that are around us that are faithful, that are deserving. We deprive them and we throw ourselves, we pour ourselves into the person that's a destroyer, maybe of themselves, maybe of us, maybe of the rest of the family. That's what David was doing. He was not judging with the right sort of a judgment. He was putting a disproportionate value on Absalom and he was lowering the value on everyone else around him that was actually deserving of more attention more affection we don't want to do that it's easy to slide into that when we feel the loss of someone or something it can be a loss of a career it can be a loss of a job it can be a loss of a friendship as I said earlier a lot of different losses trigger this cycle within us where we start putting disproportionate value on our feelings as opposed to those around us that we have God-given roles and relationships and responsibilities to carry out. They're, they're needy, they're, they're, they're valuable, and we're not giving them the value that they deserve. Let me take you to another one. Now, here's where we have good news. Psalm 147, it says, He, meaning the Lord, He heals what kind of people? The brokenhearted, and He binds up their wounds. Now, there's a, there's a portion to this verse that we usually don't think through very carefully. In order for me to receive God's healing, and David needed God's healing when we are in a state of grief for whatever reason we're grieving over, it is God's healing we primarily need. Yes, it helps to have others help us to carry our burden. It absolutely helps, but there's one problem with getting a human being to help carry our burden alone and not going directly to God. The human being can't get inside. No matter how hard I try to articulate 
what it feels like to be me on any given occasion. I can't. I'll never be able to give you an exact picture. You will never know what it feels like to be me. I will never know what it feels like to be you. You can articulate it to me. I can carry your burden to some degree. You can carry my burden to some degree. But I don't know what it really feels like. I don't, I don't know what your pain feels like. I might have some idea if I've gone through a similar pain. But God does know. He literally can reach us on an inward level he feels what we feel he knows our thoughts he knows us from the inside out that is why he is the only one that can adequately heal a broken heart but here's the problem I want God's healing but I don't want the broken heart and we can't get God's healing and I've lived long enough now that I can say some things I don't believe we can get the depth of healing that we need unless we allow our hearts to be broken and I emphasize allow because we're all very good at keeping up our guards barricading our hearts barricading our lives in avoiding anything that makes us feel uncomfortable anything that's painful we we feel like pain is the ultimate enemy a broken heart is the worst of the, the the pains we can experience and so we build our lives around avoidance of pain closing out everything and lots of times everyone never taking risk to be transparent authentic offering our fullest selves all in an effort to keep our hearts from being broken and anybody that's had a broken heart never wants to have it again I'm going to tell you it's, it's a killer but we can't get God's healing without our broken, broken hearts here's the thing about a broken heart a broken heart is open when your heart, my heart when our hearts are broken man we're, we're humble we're wide open all our defenses are down we don't have the strength to put up any kind of a facade and it's in that condition if we move toward God instead of away from God when God can finally get in he can finally get our full attention he can finally reveal to us who he is we we sang those two songs man they're my two favorite songs this morning that one about show us your glory I, I mean it's when we see the glory of God the goodness of God the sacrificial devotion of God it's when we see it it starts to heal it starts to change us but we most of the time can't see it because we're too distracted we're too busy and we're too intact (laughs) but when you're laying on the floor crying your heart out and your heart's broken then we have a different set of lenses where we can see the glory of God and we can experience the healing of God the heart has to be broken before it can receive God's healing God's eager to heal but he can't heal us unless we trust him if I don't trust him he cannot bring the healing that I desire and that he desires it is an impossibility unless I'm in a trusting relationship with God and it's not just a contractual one oh I signed on the dotted line so that I can be sure I go to heaven uh, and, but I don't know what it is to have a day-to-day trusting relationship with God well then then he can't heal me he cannot heal me if he can't speak to me if he can't lead me if he can't guide me if I'm not interested in what he has to say through his word to me he can't he can't heal me he wants to but he has to have my trust the next time when you go through one of these losses that's beyond measure and it breaks your heart is God going to be able to get into your heart to bring the healing that you want and he wants to give only if you authentically trust him can he do that he wants to but he can't if our hearts are for all practical purposes closed to him on most occasions let me take you to one last part of this second corinthians chapter one it says all praise uh, to god the father of our lord jesus christ 
God is our merciful Father and the source of all, what is the word? Comfort. All comfort we receive, it's ultimately from God. We may not think of it as coming from his hand, but it does. He comforts us in all our, what is the word? Troubles. But we don't receive that comfort unless we trust him and are in relationship with him. He wants to give it to us, but we, we won't be able to receive it. He comforts us in all our troubles so that, whenever you see so that, poop, park your eyes open because, you know, some, something important is about to come. So he's going to comfort me in all my troubles so that we can do what? Two words? Comfort others. He's comforting me so that I can be trained, I can be educated, I can be sensitized so that I actually can bring his comfort to others. And he's going to explain exactly how it works. He comforts us in all the troubles so that we can comfort others when they are troubled we will be able to give them the same comfort God has what? Given us. I go through it. I learn. I receive his healing. I receive his restoration. Now I can speak the language of your broken heart, at least in certain areas of my life. If you were going to have a really serious surgical procedure, be, be honest here now. I mean, don't, don't, don't feel tense about this. If you were going to have a really serious surgical procedure, and you had two equal doctors. You, you know, you know they're both top-notch sur uh, surgeons, okay? But one surgeon only spoke Mandarin. In fact, I think I have somebody here that speaks Mandarin. Where, where did I see him? I know I saw you in an audience somewhere. Anyway, uh, the other servant spoke um, English in the broken form we Americans speak English, okay? But they're, but they're equal surgeons. Which, which surgeon would you want to do your surgery? Would you want the one that only spoke Mandarin and you don't understand a word of Mandarin? Or do you want the one that speaks what we call English, but it's really American, right? We, we, we butcher the English language. <laughs> Let's be honest. Who wants the English speaker? Can I just see your hands? Don't be afraid. There's nothing politically correct about this. This is no trick. <laughs> yeah. You want someone that speaks your language when you're facing something critical. You, you want to understand what they're saying. You want to be sure they understand you. When you and I go through these troubles, we learn the language of the broken heart, at least in one sector of a person's life. Let, let's say we, we go through some kind of relational breakup. Well, you, you know the language of another person who's going through a relational breakup. You know the language of their soul, and they will know as soon as you start to talk to them and they talk to you. Let's say you've gone through an addiction cycle with someone in your family, your friend, or something like that, and you talk to someone going through an addiction cycle or somebody that has somebody in their family. They know instantly you know their language. It, it's not that somebody else couldn't help it's not that that mandarin speaking doctor surgeon was insufficient but you want someone preferably that knows the language you know they've been there you know they understand you you sense it immediately so god is saying that when we receive his comfort as we go through troubles you got to go through the trouble to get the comfort but then it says we are now educated we are now prepared to be wounded healers to others we, we are prepared to speak to their soul and they'll know it they'll know you know the language of their broken heart and that will help them then to listen so that you can show them the pathway to healing that God brought in your path so David was grieving deeply but David was not grieving deeply and conscientiously he, he, he was uh, grieving rather please forgive me if this offends some of you that are going through it right now but he was grieving rather blindly and selfishly 
and there's a better way. We all have the tendency when, when we're going through pain to become selfish. It's somewhat normative, but it's not best. There, there, there is a God-given ability to grieve deeply. We're feeling the whole thing. We're not running from the pain, but we're grieving with an awareness. We have God-given roles, relationships, and responsibilities, and they don't stop when we go through this loss that seems beyond measure. It, it, it's kind of like some of us, we, we live in such a pain avoidance oriented life that uh, we're, we're like people in quicksand. Uh, when I was a kid, it seemed like every, every cowboy movie had somebody falling into quicksand. I, I don't know why, but, but like in those movies, when you fell into quicksand, man, within, it seemed like two minutes, you were up to your neck, you know? And, <laughs> and the more you fought, the more you moved, the worse you sunk. Now, the truth about quicksand is, is that if you move and fight and thrash around, particularly your legs, you will sink deeper. The untruth is it's almost impossible to die, to go completely under. You almost would have to be suicidal to go completely under in quicksand. It'll usually get you about up to your waist, but not much deeper than that. But there is a point there when you and I, knowingly or unknowingly, run from our pain, try to escape our pain, try to escape the heartbreak, the grief, we actually sink ourselves deeper. We're, we're not helping ourselves. Uh, sometimes you've got to just stand still and feel the entire pain. But you have to feel the entire pain with keeping your God-given reasoning functioning, and that's a hard thing to do. It almost feels impossible. And then you've got to wait for God to bring healing. And while you're waiting, you still may feel like you're going to go under in the quicksand. You, you may feel like you're not going to survive. Paul describes this in another verse. He says, experience he had, he says, we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our what? He said, this, this was it, man. I, I'm done. I cannot face this. I was, I was a goner. And we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die, but as a result, we stopped. We stopped relying on who? Ourselves. And we learned to rely only on who? God, who raises the dead. Sometimes I've got to just, just keep sinking in that quicksand and just relying on God only. It doesn't mean that I don't receive help from others. We bear one another's burdens. That's important. Sometimes God's help comes through others. But we have to get that ultimate deep healing uh, from the inside out from God. And that means sometimes we feel like, I I'm not going to make it. I'm beyond my ability to endure. God will always rescue those that are his. If you've trusted in Christ, he will always rescue you in his own way <laughs> and in his own time. Now I want to turn to the second part of this. What David did not do, but we can learn from what he did not do. David had a calling from God. He had a gifting from God. He had abilities given to him from God. And he started to sink into his own pain, his own loss, to the point that he neglected those. Not only did he neglect them, those that he was meant to care for, he was devaluing and ignoring and neglecting. We must learn to serve selflessly and consistently, when we feel our loss is beyond measure, I want you to keep that context. When I feel my loss is beyond measure, God will enable me. More importantly, God wants me to do this because he knows what's best, wants what's best. He wants me to continue in my pain, and I've done this. It can be done. It's doable to serve selflessly and 
consistently it goes back to the conscientious grieving I'm, I'm going to grieve deeply but I'm going to grieve conscientiously and part of that is I'm going to continue to serve selflessly David had men that were dependent on him he was meant to be the spiritual leader to hundreds of thousands of people in Israel just because his pain and his loss were he felt like they were beyond measure it didn't mean that he still didn't have others to care for and God had enabled him and he enables each of us to do the same thing this is who we're meant to be as those that trust in Christ and follow Christ we are the, those that are meant to serve selflessly selflessly meaning I'm going to detach from my own pain my, my own you know responsibilities to some degree and find those responsibilities that are, are God given and I'm going to continue to serve selflessly whether it's easy or hard and I'm going to do it consistently it isn't going to be just hit and miss it isn't going to be well I'm going to, I'm going to take time out now I'm going to grieve and so while I'm grieving I'm not going to do anything that perhaps offended some of you I want to suggest that we will get healthier faster by serving selflessly and consistently while while we are in the deepest states of grief Randy what are you talking about man you know sometimes you're 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 so shattered all you can do is is just lay face down and cry yes but let that crying be limited and start mixing it as quickly as you can with some activity how many are football fans in here can I see your hands yeah <laughs> I'm not going to say what happened last Sunday to my team <laughs> but <laughs> no my, my team won uh, but that's a rarity <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to get presumptuous <laughs> uh, but one of the things that anybody that has any knowledge of football and football season hears all the time is, is that these, these tremendous athletes will tell you that once the season starts, they are pretty much hurt for the rest of the season. And, and they will all say, they'll say, you've got to learn to play hurt. You've got to learn to play with pain. If you don't learn how to play hurt, you won't make it in the NFL. I'm here to say, David's story is here to say to us today you must I must learn to play hurt if I wait until I'm completely healed to play this game of life I'm going to be sidelined for a lot more time than what I should be more importantly I won't get healthier or to the level of health as fast or as high as I could uh, this will make more sense to you how many in here uh, you, you, uh, you don't have to raise your hand I'm just going to rattle off some things probably a lot of us in here have had knee surgery hand surgery shoulder surgery uh, back surgery uh, I'm trying to think of what else is prominent hip surgery these are all kind of typical things that we start having you know different points in life now here's the wonderful thing about the day and age we live in as soon as soon as you get off that table as soon as that surgical procedure is finished and you wake up you are pain-free you might have just got your knees done but you could go out and run a mile or, or if you got your shoulder replaced you could go in the, in the gym and, and bench press and nothing would bother you right isn't that the way it works as soon as that surgical procedure is over you don't have a, the tiniest bit of pain and you're good to go you're better than you were right isn't that how it works no no we all know better than that anybody anybody that's had something done knows that is not the way it works now you wake up and you're shocked 
when whatever was killing your pain wears off, you're like, oh my goodness, I mean, what do I, I don't know if I can make, and then it gets worse because they send you to those dear, kind people called physical therapists. <laughs> and they're so gentle and so understanding. And, and when you say that hurts, they stop immediately and they say, don't ever do anything that causes you pain. <laughs> right? No. Because they want us to regain health and strength and they want us to get it in the fullest possible way that we can and as fast as we can they want us to push through pain they, they, they in essence give us this talk saying you must feel pain you must endure pain if you ever want to get rid of your pain let me say it again you must run toward the pain you must feel the pain you must stir the pain up if you ever want to see a day where the pain does not govern you in time that, that's physical therapy that's mental emotional spiritual therapy too that, that's why God wants us to play hurt God wants us to serve selflessly and consistently while we are still in pain Randy you mean when your heart is still shattered in a million pieces yes I know we all grieve differently I know you may differ on what I'm saying here I don't mean to offend anybody but what I'm saying, I'm convinced, is, is laid out in God's word for our ultimate good. I believe with all my heart we get healthier faster when we're serving selflessly while we're still in pain and we're serving consistently. David had a responsibility to his men, the men that had risked their life for him. He was treating them like they didn't mind. Joab says, you love the one that hates you. His son hated him, and he would never own the fact that his son hated him. His son was trying to kill him. He never would own that. And he said, you love the one that hates you, but you, you hate the ones that love you. Joab was saying, I love you, man. You know, I've proven it for all these years. Your men love you. They risked their lives. Some of them were wounded. Some of them likely killed. And you treat them like they are inconsequential. There are people around us that need us deserve us and we steal from them sometimes because of our pain and sometimes because of we have so devalued and given too much value to someone in our life and, and, and some of you that that's the whole message right there you're pouring yourself into someone who is an Absalom but you just keep holding on to that one hope you're just thinking let the young man live don't don't kill him even though he's trying to kill us even though if he could kill you, Joab, he'd kill you. But, but, but let the young man live, and we just need to let Absalom die. Somebody is clinging to something that's sucking the life out of you, sucking the life out of your family, perhaps. Maybe completely like an electromagnet just changing the entire movement of everything in your life. Every thought, every decision is held in the grip of this Absalom and maybe God's trying to ratchet your courage up today to say you know you got to let Absalom die he's going to die she's going to die it's going to die maybe you're clinging to some career or some vocation or, and you just got to it's just got to die that's just a thought let me show some scripture to you about this in Galatians 6 it's a real simple simple message, uh, passage we're going to look at Galatians 6 10 it says therefore whenever that's a big big category whenever whenever we have the opportunity whenever we have the opportunity we should do good to everyone 
especially to those in the family of faith. That's saying it is, every time I see an opportunity to do good, I should be at it. David had an opportunity and an obligation to do good to his men, but he was treating them as though they were inconsequential. That's never good for anyone. Colossians 3.23, it says, whatever. So we had whenever, now we have whatever. Whatever you do, work at it how? Man, Randy, you don't understand my work conditions. My boss is, is a monster, inappreciative. They pay me a terrible salary. Uh, all the people are, are evil, backstabbers. What do you mean work? What, what do you mean whatever you do? Work at it with all your heart. Read the rest. As though you were working for the Lord and not for who? David forgot he was working for the Lord primarily. The, the Lord was more important than even his son. The Lord was more important and the Lord's people were more important than even his feelings at the time. And, and so we'll heal better, we'll go further faster if we're serving selflessly consistently. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as though you were working for the Lord. David needed to go back to work. Some of you need to go back to work, perhaps. Let's go on quickly. Matthew 20, Jesus said this, whoever, so we had whenever, whatever, now we got whoever, whoever wants to become great among you must be your what? Service. Serve selflessly and consistently in grief as you're grieving. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And I'm going to close with a verse that I closed with last week. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. What is that word? Always. Okay, always. That's a big word. Give yourselves how? Fully. Always fully. Always fully. Wait a minute. I'm in grief. I'm heartbroken. Always fully. Give yourselves always fully to the work of the Lord. David had the work of the Lord, but he was not giving himself always to it or fully to it because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This is God who loves us and knows us better. We know ourselves saying, you know, when you give yourself to my work, commit yourself to be a servant to others. Commit yourself to, um, you know, making Christ known to others. Commit yourself to caring for others the way that God would care for people. In the midst of your grief, you're going to do better. It's not going to be a waste of your time. It's not going to be uh, something that's going to hurt you. It's going to be something that helps you ultimately. Let me close with a couple of thoughts. Here we go. My loss is beyond measure. When that thought goes through your mind or my mind, we have to stop and say, no, it's not. Your loss, my loss, is not beyond measure. Every human being that's going to travel this planet where evil still exists is going to have multiple losses that feel, they do feel, beyond measure. This is not good uh, self-talk. When I start saying this to myself, when I allow this to go through my mind, my loss is beyond measure. I am depriving myself of God-given clarity and motivation and inspiration to handle my grief the way that God would have me. So my loss is beyond measure. No, it's not. My loss is no different than the losses of each and every other human being on this planet. We're all going to experience really big losses because evil has not yet been abolished. Rather, it, rather it's normative, it's universal, it's unavoidable, and what's the last word? It's valuable. 
Remember we read that passage about it says, you know, God's going to comfort us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others that go through the same troubles. It's valuable. Your pain, your brokenness, your heartbreak, my pain, my brokenness, my heartbreak, these are, these are some of the most valuable developmental experiences we have given to us in, uh, by God in this life. They instantaneously sensitize us. They, they break, because our heart is broken, it's open now to become more compassionate and tender toward others. We're, we're able to feel things we couldn't feel before. We're able to feel the way God feels and see people the way God sees them. All this comes. It's valuable. Two last questions. What pain... What pain might I be hating or seeking to escape that the Lord wants to use for the development of my capacities to feel as he feels and to love like he loves? Quicksand again. Are, are we f you know, flailing about in the quicksand instead of just saying, I'm going to stand still and I'm going to experience this pain and I, I'm going I'm to seek the Lord's healing and I'm going to be in this pain as long as I have to but I'm, I'm going to be in this, this grief conscientiously I'm not going to just drop all my God-given responsibilities and opportunities last one what loss might the Lord want you to grieve deeply and conscientiously while serving selflessly and consistently I mean right now might, might be your day of my loss is beyond measure and you know label it what is it is it the loss of your loss of your health or some uh, physical ability? Is it the loss of uh, some interior peace? Is it the loss of relationship, loss of vocation? Whatever it is, is, is there a loss? The Lord wants you to grieve deeply, grieve it deeply, feel it, feel the pain, and con but conscientiously, don't turn the rest of the life off, and continue to serve God and others, those that are in your circle of influence, those that God has given you these connections they're they're part of your role your relationships your responsibilities david had an obligation to serve his loyal soldiers in spite of his pain while serving selflessly and consistently do you have one of these areas going on right now and i'm going to say one last thing it could be that some of us here our, our whole life is more or less painful more or less chaotic uh, more or less in a state of brokenness and we're literally we're, we're sitting here today with the best game face we can muster up but man we're hanging by a thread it could be the reason for that is that you have not authentically put your trust in Christ your creator he's done everything he can to show you that he loves you he's loved you from eternity he he went to the cross to show that he loves you in spite of your neglect of him breaking of his heart breaking of his laws he stands ready to forgive you. He wants you. He loves you. He cares for you. But he can't do a thing for you until you trust him and become his follower. Then he can show you the way of life. Then he can untangle uh, all the knots that we have a way of putting together in our lives. Then, then he can start the healing process that we don't even know where to start. If you're here today, I'm speaking specifically, if you're here today and you've never put your trust in Christ and become his follower, everybody's following somebody ourself usually or someone else but if you've never put your trust in Christ and become his follower I hope I hope you will take the opportunity to do this today and then when you face those situations which we all will face he'll be able to heal your broken heart because he has your trust let's pray Father, we, we so wish things were different. We so wish your kingdom would come and your will would be universally done. We so wish today were the day that you would forever abolish evil 
but it's not. And so we pray that you're, you'll just uh, help us to open ourselves to let new thought in, uh, a new stirring of your spirit in each of our lives. Only you can bring the light that we need to see what we cannot see and to do what we will not be able to do. May you find freedom to enter into our hearts today and to, to reason with us. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.